Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mount Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus. In Greek mythology, the Peloponnesian region of Arcadia represented the unspoiled wilderness and nature's untamed splendor. This association has been reinforced since antiquity. It was strengthened through centuries of Western art and literature and persists well into the present as our ideal of a pristine terrestrial paradise. Arcadia was dedicated to the Olympian Artemis and teemed with wildlife. It was also home to all manner of nature spirits, demi-humans, and fabulous beasts. The actual Arcadia has long since been subdued by climate change and organized human endeavor. Though it still contains pockets of wilderness, it currently boasts a busy motorway, a coal mine, a thermoelectric power station, and miles of potato farms. In honor of the Arcadian ideal, the paradise that was lost, the Arcadia Project will focus on preserving our planet's natural beauty and rich biodiversity in places where it still exists. This program will also chronicle my personal journey as it unfolds, the dedicated people I meet, the worthwhile endeavors I discover, the diverse initiatives I launch or lend my energies toward attaining. Tonight, I'm very proud to announce Alexis Kurgian from Caring Activist Against uh, Fur. Greetings, Alexis. How are you? Oh, hi. Can you hear me? I can hear okay. you. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can definitely hear you. <laughs> I remember I had you, you on speakerphone. Okay, awesome. I remember you. Our paths have crossed uh, before in the past. Um, I it's believe been a you're... pleasure. Yes. So, how did you get involved with uh, Caring Activists Against Fur? Well, I have a little bit of a unique um, story, uh, and I'm told that. I don't think of myself as unique, but um, I always loved animals. I was always a, a cat rescuer. My family always was. Um, right now I'm sitting in a house full of animals. I have a dog, three cats. I have a rabbit I'm babysitting. I have some fish that were relinquished and they were wow. going to flush them. And we, Yeah, so I got an arc going on here. But I never considered myself hardcore activist until about seven years ago. Um, I was wearing fur, if you can believe that. I was doing cat rescue, and I had been mm-hmm. given an, a fur by a friend, and I wore it. And, um, yes, I had heard things. I consider myself pretty sheltered, um, an Armenian princess, I always say. Uh, 
So I didn't really know what I had heard. I, I was hearing things, and you hear things along the way. I'm in my 40s, and all my life I heard, oh, the fur industry is so horrible. Oh, it's abusive. Oh, this, oh, that. And every so often I would hear clips on the news, crazy animal activists, crazy animal activists. And you hear this mantra, and you just kind of brush yeah, it off. Yeah. And, I ne- yeah, I never thought anything of it. And whatever. So about eight years ago, I was sitting alone. My husband was at work. He was uh, teaching photography in the night school. Um, And I was tooling around on the internet. Um, As odd as it sounds, I had only started using the internet in my uh, late 30s. So I was, again, pretty sheltered. And I remember thinking, you know what, I'm hearing things about the fur industry. I'm going to go online and type in the thing that is bothering me because I want to come up with some footage saying, see, they don't do what you're hearing. I typed Mm -hmm. in animals being skinned alive, fur industry. And I think that's what, yeah, that is what I was hearing. That is what was bothering me. And along the road, I had always said, no, there's no way in hell that animals would be skinned alive. What person would come up with that? There would be laws saying you can't skin an animal alive. There's no way. And I I typed that in saying, I'm going to come up with footage saying, see, look, we don't do that. I'm going to maybe come to footage of a fur farm and watch animals running around. That was my hope. And my heart was beating in my chest. And I was taken courtesy of PETA straight to the video that PETA has. And, again, we show the footage of the raccoon dog being – he was in a little tiny cage. And, again, it was was very – almost almost um, primary footage because it was uh-huh. undercover and they show a little dog in a cage and there's a Chinese guy and he's uh, sitting in the cage with a little dog smile on his face and you could tell he's about you know thinking he's going to get attention finally and the guy the, ra- uh, the Chinese guy um, hung him upside down took a knife sliced him end to end and the dog is screaming and, you know, thrashing around. I mean, I, I hate to be graphic, but that's what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm my, I was screaming. Um, then the guy ripped the fur off, and the dog at this point stopped running, stopped making a running motion, no longer was screaming. It was now a ready, it was a reddened pulp of something, and Ooh, you couldn't tell what it was, but you would just see. Yes, yes, it was. And then all of a sudden the Chinese guy is talking through this and he takes the reddened pulp and he throws it in a pile and the camera focuses in and all of a sudden you see eyes and then the eyes blink and you realize, my God, that's the dog and it's still alive. And, and that is the fur industry. And it takes a pro- – again, I, I shut off the footage and I was screaming. I was crying. I went. I got my fur. I heard I, – I never looked back at that video, but I heard, because we show it, that it took about 10 minutes for that animal to die. Um, I got my fur. I threw it in the trash. My husband comes home, sees it in the trash. I was a mess. Uh, Five days of no eating. I went to the um, CVS, and I checked in, and I said to her, look, I think I have the flu or something. I'm dying. She said, sit down. I said, she goes, what's going on? What happened to you? And I said, I just watched a video five days ago. I haven't eaten anything. I'm really, really upset. This is before I had my son, so I had no really Mm -hmm. big altruistic reason to be alive. I was by myself thinking, I'm the only one that feels like this. And she took one look at me and called an ambulance. And I went to the ER at Chilton Memorial by my house. And that night Uh in the ER, I realized for the sake of my mental health, because I was having a nervous breakdown. I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now. I was having a nervous breakdown. um, And when I got out of the hospital, I realized for my mental health, and I was still in shock, and I was still eating very little, losing weight, 
I was going to have to join some groups and work with people or else I was going to lose my mind. And I didn't want to be in a world that would allow what I had seen on that video, allow this guy to violate this dog and make money off of it. And, and I was wearing the fur, and I was so humiliated and disgusted by an industry that I was led into and really believed the lies that they told. And one, vid, you know, one flash, one 20-second flash of truth in that video, thank God PETA does undercover investigations, I saw what it was for what it was, and I was forever changed. And about a week later, I was feeling strong, and I called PETA, and I begged them. I said, look, I, I talked to Adam Miller, who is a lovely man, and he said, I said, look, I saw the video. What am I going to do? My voice was cracking. I was still not well. And he said, you know, a lot of people feel like you feel. I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through that, but we all feel like that. That's why we do what we do. I'm going to link you up with a, a woman that I know, and her name is Julie O'Connor. Yeah, and she works – yeah, she – Calf. She said calf. He said calf. And that's all I needed to know. He said, have you ever heard of Paramus, New Jersey? And I worked in Paramus, New Jersey for 15 years in a restaurant down the street as I did my acting career. I said, of course, I know Paramus. He said, I'm going to link you up the first um, the first Saturday uh, protest because we don't do protests. We're more international. Uh, will be um, a grassroots organization called CAF. Julie O'Connor runs it. I'm going to link you up with her number, and it is at Stephen Corn Fur. You think you can go? And I said yes, and I never looked back. And that was about eight years ago. I've had a baby since. I have a son now. I have a life, and I've met the nicest people. And they are surprisingly all the people I met in during my protests of now the circus and laboratory testing and food and certainly the fur. All of them, all the activists that I've met, oddly enough, have had their own form of breakdown and come to Jesus moment, if you will, where uh -huh. we do this because, not because we want to, but because we have to. And that was eight years ago, and I've been doing this ever since. Wow. Yeah. That is an amazing yeah, and, story. Thank you. And, and I just want to say I'm some of the lucky ones because my predecessors um, – 50 years ago, women protesting for our men protesting for would never live to see what I have seen. We have seen Burlington go for free. We have seen Macy's go for free. I worked at Nordstrom in my 20s. Nordstrom, Nordstrom has gone for free, and I sold my stock in Nordstrom because I knew they sold fur. They just went for free this week. We have had so many victories, and eight years ago, I wanted to die thinking I was the only one that was bothered by this. Eight years later, I have seen the world feel what I have felt when I was going through that breakdown that week in the hospital and realizing everyone feels like you feel all they need to know is what is going on in the reality of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Our fire alarm was going off. My husband's it's cooking. Okay. Forgive me. <laughs> sorry. My, um, my girl Sophia but yeah. went off before, so take care with you. Take care of it. It's okay. We're, we're yes. now with communications. Uh, <laughs> we're not in Yeah, sorry. Today. It's going to where he's going to roll something at it. He must be cooking meat. That's very ironic. <laughs> that's very ironic. He's cooking meat, no doubt, because it's burning. So that's uh, I, funny. I'm sorry. Eat, do you eat meat or? I, and I'm very glad you asked that question. I don't consider myself a vegan. If I look at my life, I'm completely animal-friendly, completely, completely leather-free, completely 
fur-free, completely circus-free, completely everything. But the, the food is the one and only thing I've struggled with. I do eat meat. I, um, when I was pregnant with my son, I craved meat and fish, and they told me, you're probably having a boy. I was vegetarian <laughs> and even vegan before I got pregnant and then craved it. And, you know, it is, we, we always tell people, please, you don't have to be perfect to be an activist. Join us as you are. If, you're, you know, if you have a fur in your closet but you're really bothered by laboratory testing or if you hate the circus but you still eat a little bit of meat or if you're eating a little meat but you're starting to explore vegetarian options because you're bothered by what you're hearing about in the pork industry where they boil the pigs alive and things like that, join us. You don't have to be perfect. Everyone starts somewhere. And if you're perfect, that's amazing. I aspire to be like that, but if I'm not perfect, I'd rather be a little bit of something than a lot of nothing. You know, they say you don't flatten all three tires when you have one flat tire. You don't flatten the other three on a car. Just because I eat meat doesn't mean I need to go to the circus and beat my dog up and not rescue from shelters. If I'm not perfect, I'd rather start somewhere and be called a hypocrite than be a complete jerk and do nothing. That's a very good point, and it's very important. I'm I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. Uh, I have type right. two diabetes, so my so sure. actually meat is one of the better things I can be eating. Of course. Uh, so, but I I do believe in a lot of. Uh, um, animal causes and uh, right. um, part of my uh, life, my uh, spirituality, my character. Uh, so I get involved sure. to the extent that I can and do what I can. But uh, that's one of the things sure. I like about uh, the activists that I've met through uh, Julie. Um, yeah, and Julie she's amazing. Herself, she's an awesome individual. Um, so are that, you. <laughs> well, thank you. So are you. And uh, you. Um, just work with people to the extent, uh, you know, from where they are, rather than trying to convert people exactly. to everything that you're doing. So it's very reassuring to, to hear you say that. Um, right. So I believe our paths last crossed at a deer uh, protest, the end of the deer hunt. Yes. Uh, right. Yes, uh, yes, and that's what it was, and I remember it was about a year or two ago, or yes, probably a year yes. ago, and you had said, I want you on my podcast, I have your name in my little, uh, I put it, wrote it down, and it was in my purse, and I said, I don't want to bother him, I don't want to bother him, and then Julie calls me about a week ago, or no, it was like a month ago, and said, mm-hmm. I got you lined up for Hercules' show, and I was so excited. <laughs> well, thank you. So, my pleasure, my and pleasure. If I remember correctly from uh, the, the um, holiday celebration in Tenafly, where our paths also crossed, uh, you were uh, you're a very creative individual, and you were doing entertainment, <laughs> I remember. Uh, so how is that aspect of your- <laughs> Right. Right, right. Well, a lot of people don't know that about me. I was actually in gymnastics. Um, I oh, did wow. train with Bella Caroli. Yeah, I trained down in Texas with Bella Caroli um, in the 90s. Now, he is notorious now. Uh, that was the Larry Nasser scandal uh, where there's a bunch of pedophilia going on. Mm-hmm. I did know Marta and Bella personally. Um, none of that was going on when I was there. There were other things going on, and I had the luxury of leaving there 
and coming back and moving in with my parents and going to college up here, and I used the gymnastics for my career in entertainment. So I'm the contortionist you see in the 90s on the Howard Stern Show, and I was a contortionist on Saturday Night Live about right after 9-11. Yeah, I met so many interesting people, and I just, I whenever I do the protests in Manhattan, I feel like it's an essence or an element of that performing because we get to, you know, yell into the megaphone. We've had a lot of media coverage, and mm-hmm. you know that part of me comes out, that creative part, because, um, you know, again, that that girl that I remember eight years ago who was broken is now able to channel that energy into what I always loved, which was the communication field, and help animals along the way as I do it, which is great. That is fantastic. And you're obviously passionate about uh, what uh, you do, and you found a mission in life. uh, And, uh, um, you know, it it is incredibly awesome. Julia said wonderful things uh, about you uh, when we've uh, spoken. So uh, you connected with uh, Julie uh, through uh, um, an individual in the medical profession who gave you the information. and uh, Right. So, um, right. I'm sorry, so go actually, ahead. it was through PETA. Um, yeah, I'm sorry about that. To clarify, it was through PETA. Um, when I was, you know, in the hospital, one of the doctors I worked with was very upset for me, and this was only a night, and he said, okay, why don't you join some groups? Right, and so I called PETA because it was PETA's um, video, their undercover footage, and I had spoken with Adam Miller of PETA, and I hope he's still there. He's so talented. PETA is just so professional, and he was quite honest with me. He said, if you want to do protests, that's not really what we do. You need to do something grassroots, and um, meaning – you know, something, a smaller group that is in your area that is protesting, in that case, fur. And um, mm-hmm. he said, I'm going to give you the number for Julie O'Connor. And she has just really become a best friend of mine. And, you know, I, I look back, and again, this was a very lonely time in my life. I was dealing with infertility, and and my husband was at work a lot, and I was by myself in the house. And I have met Julie O'Connor. Her family is so loving. and yeah. The friends I've met, you, I've met uh, just lovely people through New York and New Jersey CAF. Um, Some of them are activists that have been doing this for years and years. Some of them are activists that started when I started who were wet behind the ears and and really bothered by things they were hearing. And along the way, I've forged so many friendships, and I just, my whole life has changed. Activism, activists are some of the nicest people you've ever met. And when, again, I flash back to over the years hearing things on the news. The news wants you to believe that activists are crazy, that activists are horrible people, that we're we're Mm -hmm. nuts, that we throw ink on people. It couldn't be far from the truth. Remember, the media is often paid off by the furriers. They're advertising for Flemington. They're advertising for Stephen Korn. Activists are some of the warmest people you've ever met. And I met just a family of friends, you know, my friend Richard, who I call when I'm upset about something. And just Julie has been a godsend. And my whole life has changed. And, again, now I have a beautiful son. I have a home that we bought and, you know, being able to tell them uh, at the furniture store, please, no leather, and to tell them why. These are all things that I really point out to the activism. It's really enriched my life in so many ways because we're helping animals, and there's good karma to that, I really believe. 
I, b- I believe so as well. And it's uh, awesome that you're able to meet uh, good people uh, who are trying to do Thank a very you. good uh, thing. And the sense I'm getting is that um, as your participation in this uh, cause increases, uh, a call yeah. will come for your uh, vast creative skills, and you might be able to oh, find a new you. way of expressing them as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's it's very, very true. And you know, again, we we've we've met um, through activism. We meet people along the way that I always say, you know, I worked at Nordstrom. I worked in the kids' work girls department. I sold little dresses for little girls. And this is about 25 years ago when I was right out of college. And you know, a lot of the people in department stores that are selling fur, like me don't want to be selling it, but they need the job. They need it as their bread and butter. And, you know, it's just been so liberating to be able to liberate stores and the workers and things like that. And and it really makes you feel good about yourself because it's, um, you know, helping. They say if you want to be selfish, go help someone else. And uh-huh. I've never gotten the kind of – yeah, I've never gotten the kind of emotional um, – upheaval that I've had when I help animals and, and people and, and things like that. And this has been, like you said, it's, it's a calling. I didn't realize I had it, but it, I realize it now. It's always been in there when I rescued cats as a little kid and no one else cared about the stray that was in the schoolyard and they were kicking it around and I was feeding it and they were yelling at me and kicking me around literally. And, and I look back and I'm like, wow, Animals, yeah, animals were always my friend, even when people were not. And, um, you know, I, uh, my most recent um, thing, and again, you don't know sometimes what is going to come about, but um, I was working a, a, a job that I had encountered near my house. I won't say the name of the store, but it's a local chain that I'm sure everyone's heard of. Um, but a long story short, they did have an issue with rodents. They were, you know, selling food. They lost their food license. But long story short, um, they were having rodent control come in. And without really going into it, one of the things they were doing was putting down glue traps. And uh, glue traps are just a campaign that needs to be like the fur campaign. It just really needs to be brought to the forefront. Um, I worked January 1st. I was the only cashier that had gone in, and the young kid that was the manager there, uh, there were seven tiny little rodents, uh, little mice, little brown mice, stuck in the glue traps that they had put glue traps all over the floor during the holiday. Seven little mice were alive clawing their way to get out of the glue traps their little arms were bloodied they were squealing they were looking up at me and it was that was january 1st it's been about nine months i spoke with julie about it i called Peta. i called my friend richard i cried as an afterthought he wrote to me on facebook why don't you call Peta?" and Peta was so professional and this is nine months ago on january 2nd Peta went in there um through email and and stuff like that and said you can't be doing this this is animal cruelty the kid that i was working with was so horrible to me i was screaming i said look at them clawing they're they're bloodied he was yelling at me get back to the front of the store go wash your hands because i was trying to release these animals and he was screaming at me get back to the front of the store i went the following day the um woman manager 
was screaming at me again, saying, who do you think you are telling my managers this and that? How dare you call PETA on me? I know it was you. And I said, I would do it all again. And then she made a racial slur at me. It wasn't aimed at me, I don't think. It was a horrible word. She had said something along the lines of, it's your opinion that animals shouldn't suffer. It's my opinion. I don't want my son dating a such and such. Get out of my store. And I lost my job. And that was nine months ago. And, you know, I've worked with PETA, and they did get the store to stop using the glue traps. It was um, a certain rodent control company that we all see. I see their trucks all over the place, but that that was nine months ago, and I'm still losing sleep over it. It was very up close and personal, those tiny little mice, um, not like, not unlike the hamsters that I've had as pets, you know, screaming to be let out. So glue traps is another one, you know, like the fur industry. They keep it quiet, but when you find out what it's all about, it's so upsetting and it's just so heartbreaking. And I cried many times to Julie on the phone, not as an activist, but as a friend. And she was like, but you got them to stop using it. But at the same time, glue traps are still being sold in Walmart, ShopRite, that whole thing. So that kind of has been a, a recent thing with me. And I just remind myself all the time, I didn't think fur would come to a halt, but it did. We can bring glue traps to be illegal too one day. It's just going to take work. But, you know, that was very, very, um, that January 1st was one of the worst days I've ever experience because I saw up close and personal it wasn't on a video this time it was right in front of me and I was being screamed at yeah and then I lost my jobs because people some of them don't care most of them do but some of them don't and it's hard to be around people like that and I thought this woman was a good person until she screamed at me used an obscenity and um, defended animal Mm -hmm. abuse yeah. Is there anywhere that you can, uh, that you can uh, find uh, a position within the field of animal advocacy? Because uh, I'm sure I would. Yeah, I would really love to. My friends have often said that, but at the same time, for me, my ideal job would be working working behind a camera, working in front of a camera. I love that. Okay. I thought many times, should I work? at PETA or ASPCA or Humane Society, and I know me. I remember that breakdown I had. I remember talking to the gentleman on the phone when I called PETA about the mice nine months ago. I had said to him he was throwing them alive into the garbage, and the boy that answered the phone at PETA, who was, again, sweet, you could hear it in his voice. He said to me, wait, he was throwing them live into the garbage. Can you go back and let them out? And I remember thinking, hanging up, and I was crying, I remember thinking, this poor kid who was answering the phones at PETA is now going to have the nightmares I'm having. He's going to say Mm -hmm. over and over, they're live in the garbage. If I was to do a job like that, I would probably be haunted by the dogs that I couldn't save, by the mice that I couldn't save. Yeah. So I think in the end of the day, I don't have the tough austere. I like to think of myself as tough. I'm not tough. I probably couldn't do it. I'd lose my mind, and I would like to help animals that way, but I think activism is such that I am so lucky because when you do activism as opposed to a job, you're really empowered by the group around you. I think of Tommy. You know, I'll use first names. I think of Tommy and Julie and and Richard and, and Julie's husband, Jack. And I think of my husband, who makes a point to watch my son when I go to protest. You're awesome. empowered and you're around people who feel like you feel. 
and you don't have to feel cold and alone like I did so many times, and that has really lifted me. Um, I don't think I could do it as a job, though, because I don't. I know who I am, and I'd probably have another breakdown. I don't know if I'd come back this time. Well, that, that <laughs> I know how I am. Yeah, other it wouldn't be good. Some people, yeah. Other than yeah. carrying activists against spur. Uh, and uh, the various uh, protests uh, that uh, you participate in um, and uh, your communication with PETA. Are there any other uh, animal organizations that you belong to? Oh, gosh, yes. I I think of Angie, and again, I'm only using first names, but I I work for League of Humane Voters. Um, I realized a long time ago, and this was another, yeah, League of Humane Voters, another comeuppance I had was realizing that, I would lobby for League of Humane Voters about four years ago. My son was about a year old, and I would lobby up and down in my area for perhaps Republican senators. I had gone to their office, I think, on two senators, and I had voted for them. I was their constituent. I went to the senators, and I said, look, we're doing this thing. We're trying to get steel leg hold traps banned. These were senators I voted for. And they lied to me and said, we're going to vote against, you know, we don't want to have steel leg hold traps. The next day the vote went through, and those two senators, both of them who I voted for, um, lied and and voted to get those leg hold traps still legalized. And I'll never forget that. And that was was when I worked for – League of Humane Voters, and and I, it was such a a smack in the face to me as what I thought was a conservative. Yeah, because I, and I called the office of the one, the senator, I remember his name, I won't say it, but I had called and an intern answered, and I said, I just want you to know I spoke with Senator such and such. You can tell him I know he's a liar. I voted for him. I won't vote for him again. He told, he had you tell me, yeah, we're going to vote just the way you say, and I know he did not. And I don't know if he thought that I wouldn't find out, but we know he voted against what I asked him to vote for. Why would I vote for him again? And that right. politically was such a smack in the face. And it could be either way, but I happened to notice, you know, straight down the ticket of the party I always voted for were the ones that voted against what I was asking them to do. And the opposite side, which happened to be Democratic, could go either way voted for what I asked them to vote for. And that was a smack in the face because for so long I voted a certain way. And it's sad, but right now I can't vote that way anymore. And I haven't been because voting even affects these animal rights. They shouldn't. It should be bipartisan. But right now it isn't. And I think we can change that. But right now, you know, conservatives are not voting for animal rights. And me, I can't vote that way anymore because that would be voting against what I'm trying to do here. Why would I go to a protest and get these stores to go for free and then go to the polls and, and vote for someone who doesn't give a crap about the animals the way they, they told me? They told me, I hear what you're saying. You came to my office, and now I'm voting to get the steel leg hold trap still legalized. And, and I said that was pretty final to me, and I, I voted a certain way. And four years ago, I changed it, and I haven't been voting that way since. I'm not saying one day I won't go back. It could change. Right. Maybe, you know, conservatives go a, a different way. It was, like, a little better in the 80s. I mean, I remember the Reagan 80s. I thought Republicans were pro-animal, but maybe I was wrong. But right now, I haven't been voting Republican, and I hate to say that because I was dying the wool. Uh-huh. I, I don't vote that way right now. And it to me, again, this was – 
a real eye-opener and a real disappointment. I, I trusted these people, and I just can't um, trust them anymore right now. It's a That's shame. That's disappointing, and uh, we're yeah. fortunate to live in a society where you can check how people vote. Uh, you bet. That seems to happen uh, quite a lot, that uh, uh, some people are told yeah. or believe certain things, but if you check the actual vote, uh, it's not right. the way you think it uh, went. And uh, um, right. I'm learning through this process uh, uh, because uh, I'm on the Democratic County uh, Committee, so I'm technically uh, right. an official. Uh, uh, that, uh, right, I'm that's learning. wonderful. Wonderful, Hercules. Thank you. <laughs> I'm learning to look at things uh, um, less in terms of partisanship and more in terms of issues and just focus on Absolutely. not who's what party or, or things like that, but how does somebody vote? What do they really represent as opposed to what they might so say true. or hint that they represent? Because we need that. Uh, it's time so to stop true. fighting amongst each other and to get things done. And um, you know, You're right. those are clear on certain issues. Uh, it, it, it's again, it's it's very good that we can just click a few buttons on our computer and see somebody's voting record. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and and it brings me back to, you know, things that I'm hearing. You know, I'm I'm Armenian American. I'm fifth generation on my mom's side, third on my dad's side. I'm I'm as American as they come. I don't even know where Armenia is. You know, my granddad would roll in his grave, but I can tell you this: he came over here to get away from having the communistic party the turkish you know emblem that that massacred my people in 1915 and said we can do to the you know we can do to them what we want no one will care and then hitler said look what the turks did to the armenians we can do it to the jews no one will care and again he did it and i look back and i'm like look armenia they can't vote a certain way we're in america we're lucky we have choices and supposedly the politicians should do what we ask them to do. They don't sometimes, but we still have that right to vote. We still have the right to say, look, this is what we want as your constituent. And if you don't listen to us, we can hopefully still vote you out. Right. And that's a big deal. I didn't realize big, how big a deal it was. Big. Yeah. Right. And, uh, for all the difficulties that we encounter, and you've chosen a very heroic path uh, to defend living beings who can't uh, defend themselves uh, against right. uh, these atrocities. Um, you're assuming responsibility for something that uh, bothers you and you're doing something about it and you found other people are Thank doing something you. about it. And even though yeah. change is sometimes slow in coming, uh, it seems like right. you're experiencing successes, you know, with stores no longer selling fur. Um, Amazing. The, so th that's good. That is incredibly awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And for me, if I was to say, I mean, again, I, I can't thank my predecessors enough. These are activists that have been doing this forever. Probably fur has been sold forever and the, you know, inhumane methods have been forever. Um, we are the lucky ones in 2020. We get to see the results. Um, if I was to say, other than activism and education of the public, you know, education of me as the fur wearer, looking at the video and saying, holy crap, that fur is going in the garbage, and then I'm going to speak against it. But is there one thing specifically that is out there that is a tool for getting people to go fur-free, glue trap-free, uh, circus-free? One thing, and that word would be Internet, because, again, 
back in the 50s when when my friends when my mom was given a fur um you would hear things but you didn't have it at the click of a you know click of a button we right. have the internet now these kids my son will grow up in a generation where if he has any questions there's google and the internet has been key in getting everyone to see oh really you think the circus is nice to the elephants here look at this look at this video oh really you think the the fur industry is nice on their fur farms take a look at this look at this guy um you know uh, oh really you think that the pigs in the pork industry are treated well look at this pig being boiled alive for bacon he's not dead yet from his throat being slit you know these the internet is phenomenal because as painful as it is and again i had a breakdown looking at that video it is so liberating we didn't have this when my dad was growing up we have it everything we want at the click of a button especially in america we're not in a communistic country if we want to educate ourselves we can learn things and it might be painful at first but in the end it's the only way i would have still been wearing the fur had i not mm-hmm. had the internet and looked it up it's amazing and now i'm an activist against it and i've watched so many industries go for free so many designers go for free um you know and again working at nordstrom i realized one thing they they do not put anything on floor that doesn't sell because things that are on floor have to sell it's like rent if it doesn't sell it's got to go away fur right. obviously isn't selling it's not selling why why because people are educated because of the internet because of activism they're seeing things they're seeing the videos and saying i don't want to buy that oh no no i know where it came from i don't want to take something that was once a dog and was now blinking and bloody and i can't even recognize what it is you know the internet has been so key and that's why we're seeing the circus implode the fur industry implode people going vegan people at least trying five out of ten meals vegetarian or vegan because we are educated we have the internet and there's no excuse now for ignorance and as painful as it is education is everything for these animals and um you know thank god you can tell yourself you know all right well now i can change this behavior i'm no longer buying fur i'm no longer you know eating things that came from the pork industry where they let them all drown during the the hurricane last year they we have footage of the pigs holding their heads above water during that hurricane where it was flooding and flooding and flooding, the aerial footage, and then the aerial footage of them no longer being able to hold their snouts above water and all drowned. And that was changing. That was, yeah, that was life-changing. I had called Julie and I said, I'm so done with pork and I haven't bought bacon since. My husband likes it on the weekends. I said, not in my house, you know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You can have it when we go out. It's not coming in my house because we have the internet. I can see pictures that I once would have wondered about. Now there is no longer wonder. We have everything we want at the click of a button. And right. if I don't know something, I can learn it. And the animals are going to be the ones liberated, the fur farms that will no longer be in existence. And the animals that would have been bred tomorrow and, and skinned alive the next day, that won't be because no one's buying fur anymore because it was educated and they've seen the videos, and videos uh, will say everything. You can lie and lie and lie, but once people see what I saw, you can't unring a bell, and that's a good start. You're very right, and uh, have you thought of writing? Because your story is very powerful. You're very passionate when uh, telling it. 
Uh, you're very creative. You're very articulate. Um, so Thank you. How can you get the message out uh, in even wider circles? Uh, and uh, um, your compelling story, you could probably write it into uh, an article because that's an amazing Thank uh, you. story. Thank you. Well, in fact, it's funny. My parents are both writers. My dad's a political writer, and my mom is a children's book writer. Um, and oddly enough, her book was uh, In My Own Backyard, which is a children's book um, about the um, eras going through, a little girl looking out her window and the different eras going through. She sees dinosaurs, and the next thing she's seeing woolly mammoths, and the next thing she's seeing apes that are turning into humans. And you know, my parents were both writers, and my dad always encouraged my mother keep writing, and she was like, I don't like it. And my dad would always say to me, keep writing, and I'd be like, I don't like it. But he'd say to both of us, you're both very talented, you should, because most people can't articulate on paper the way you can. And I think that might be a next um, genre of mine is putting into words these animals, um, what they're feeling, because they do feel. Yes, and I just might. Yeah, they, they, they're very sentient. They're, they think in words. We don't realize they do, but they think in words. And, and you're right. And, you know, for every cat that I have that came from a parking lot, you know, I have a cat, um, Picasso. She's in the next room. She's a gray, Russian blue. Um, I would go to Weight Watchers meetings about 10 years ago on Route 4. I noticed squirrels running around in a dumpster, and I realized when I got closer that they were little gray kittens, and um, there were seven of them. And I said, oh, my God, there's kittens, there's kittens. They're, they're starving to death by the dumpster. And this is by Route 4, Dunkin' Donuts and Weight Watchers. And mm-hmm. I would start feeding the kittens. And there was a nice gentleman in a AAA truck. And he said, I thought I was the only one that was feeding those kittens. And he said, their mother is a gray cat. She comes around every so often. She can climb the chain link fence. She's starving to death. And over the next month and a half, and this is 10 years ago, um, my husband and I trapped all the kittens. We were living in Ringwood. We trapped them. They were mobile, so it took a while. Um, We would go out for pizza, come back, and there would be one or two in the trap. We would bring them back home. I had a huge dog crate in my basement, and I, Uh um, you know, fostered them. Yeah, (laughs) brought them to Bloomingdale Animal Shelter, and um, they all got homes. And then I kept the mother, and that was 10 years ago. I've had her for 10 years, Picasso. She's a Russian blue. She's the best cat I've ever had. And, And anyone who tells you, no, animals don't think, animals aren't sad, you know, that cat was so sad in that parking lot, and, and she's so happy. She plays all the time. She purrs. I mean, my other animals, I have two other boy cats. She can't stand them. She hates them, but they're her brothers. Yeah, she's like, don't bring any more home, you know. But anyone who tells you that these animals don't feel and think as we do, well, let them adopt an animal from a shelter or who's been abandoned twice or a cat from a parking lot who's been dumped and in the middle of a hurricane and tell me that animals don't feel. Of course they feel. They feel sometimes, I think, more than we do. So, you know, it's um, a gift that we have if we can give ourselves to, to rescue a dog or a cat or an, a rabbit and realize that we saved a life when it would have died. Yeah. Very true. Uh, we're animal yeah. people, too. We have two puppies that we got from uh, the Ramapo uh, Bergen uh, Animal Shelter. Oh, Rabari, very good. Yeah, and uh, uh, so we're animal people as well. That was my uh, puppy, Sophia. Well, she's not a puppy, but uh, she's small like a puppy. Oh, of course, she's a puppy. She's her puppy. She, she had things to oh. say. 
just thought she said that. Of course. And I, and I know your wife, Athena. I know your wife is Athena. My husband and I yeah. adore her. She's beautiful. I don't know if your listeners know your wife. She's gorgeous and just so yes, lovely. So, oh, Thanks. that those uh, puppies are lucky to have you both. And we're lucky to have them. They're family and. Uh, um, they they certainly feel, they certainly think, they certainly have uh, unique uh, personalities and uh, quirks and ways of uh, communicating. And uh, absolutely, uh, anyone who absolutely. has any would know that. Oh, absolutely. And you know, just um, thinking back is my my dad. Again, I grew up in a house that rescued cats, but my parents. Um, loved animals but my dad would tell me stories you know my dad's a very educated uh quiet laced man you know he doesn't really go into emotion much but he had told me when he was in college in the 60s or the 50s or 60s he said and this is years before I thought about vegetarianism I was growing up and he would tell me I was a vegetarian in college and I said you were and he said I was I was very thin and I said why were you vegetarian I was probably about 10 and um, he said, oh, because I heard a story about the veal. I said, what's veal? He said, it's a young calf, and they raised this calf, and it would, it would sit in a crate, and it couldn't turn around, and it couldn't scratch itself. And I saw a picture of it. And he said, I was in college, and I saw a picture of it, and my friend was vegetarian, and I was vegetarian. And I said, that's, that's horrible. I, I, and I would think about that calf, and, and I, I would think over the years, and this is before I was an activist, I would turn into a young woman in my 20s and even 30s, and I'd be like, ugh, they do that on the veal farms? And I said to my dad, why are you eating chicken? He said, well, at a point, I just couldn't, uh, there were no options. There were no options for me to do. It was cheese. It was eggs. It was, there was nothing for me to eat and, and tofu. And, and I didn't like tofu. I look back and I, and this was 30, 40 years ago. And I say to myself, my gosh, there are so many options. You go to Trader Joe's, you go to, you go to ShopRite. There is a whole section in any grocery store dedicated to the vegetarian or vegan eater because people are bothered by the stories that my dad told. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. one is worse than the other in the food industry. And again, you know, I'm one to talk. I'm not perfect with the food. I, after gymnastics, had an eating disorder, and it's triggered my eating disorder. Every time I would cut out the meat, I would, you know, my eating disorder would trigger, and I'd be like, oh, I might as well not eat bread, and I might as well not eat starch, and I might as well not eat at all. And, you know, again, finally I came to a point where I was like, I can't really consider myself as vegetarian, or it would trigger the eating issue. But I look around when I'm in a store and it's not lost on me that there are whole sections in any given store, regular store, ShopRite, which is very affordable, that are completely vegetarian and completely vegan because there are options now. Because people are saying, you know, I'm hearing stories about what they do in the pork industry and the chicken industry where they de-beak them and, the, you know, terrible, terrible stories. So if you want to go one out of two meals without meat, one out of two meals without dairy. You are not like my dad in the 60s. You have options. It's not just going to be you can eat an egg or you can eat some cheese. You have a, so many uh-huh. wonderful wonderful things that are right. delicious. And, you know, Julie introduces me to all these things. She gave me some tofurkey. I was not crazy about uh-huh. it, but then she gave me some other – yeah, tofurkey is not my friend, but she gave us other stuff, and I was like, this is some of the best-tasting food I've ever had and you wouldn't know it was meat free 
which is incredible because we're used to the taste of meat. That doesn't mean we want to see something die for us to eat it, but we do want to have that same taste. It's comfort mm-hmm. food, um, if you will, and, and that's always going to be in us. You know, we, we want to have that taste of beef. We want to have that taste of chicken in mm-hmm. a dish. You know, we don't want to say, oh, I want this chicken or this, you know, beef you know, to be dead, but we like the taste. And now these companies are latching on to the idea that they're going to make a ton of money because they're selling. These vegan options are selling because people, especially these kids, these up-and-coming kids are saying, I see what they're doing to these animals. I'm not going to eat it. And, you know, on the other aspect as well, again, for people like me, for people like my husband and now my son, who are never going to be the type that are going to be vegan. There are just some people out there that are never going to be vegan, and I won't force it. There need to be laws on these food farms to say, look, your pigs are dying and drowning. Please open the gate, let them out, instead of um, letting them drown and then claiming it for livestock and getting your money. You know, there are no laws to protect these animals on food farms. And if we're going to eat meat, we need to rise up as meat eaters and say, I'm going to buy your product, but only if you stop debeaking them, only if you let them roam free on some land, only if you stop caging them and let them spread their wings a little bit. And they're not doing that right now because we're not demanding it. And we as meat eaters need to do that or else these laws will never pass. You know, it's a shame. Right. And that, that is something doable. We can at least uh, um, have the animals uh, uh, treated uh, humanely. Exactly, exactly. Because I would never blame my husband for being the type. He has a lot of fast twitch muscle. He needs meat. I, you know, that's a debate for another time. There are people that say you don't need meat. I respect them fully and I'm willing to listen. But there are some people that I'll never convince you can't eat meat because I'm a meat eater and, you know, I, right. I'm angry at myself. But what I can demand and what I grieve for is the fact that when I buy meat at ShopRite, it did suffer. And these animals are dying for us. Can't they at least have a life beforehand? And right now, because we haven't demanded it and because the food farms are liars and they do horrible things to these animals and they get away with it and we haven't held them accountable the way we have held accountable the furriers, they are still getting away with it. So if we're hoping to eat meat, because, again, there are people out there who will never be vegan, then we need to rise up as a society and, you know, do like Oprah did in the 80s and 90s where she fought the meat industry and say, you need to stop. You need to let these animals roam on grass. You need to stop beating them. You need to let them have their babies when they're born instead of taking the calves away and throwing them into a veal farm. And if you keep doing that, we're not going to buy from you. And then what will that do to your bottom line? And they will listen only if you hit them in the belt. But I think if we all band together as meat eaters, if we are meat eaters, they have to listen because the fur farms had to listen. And they're either going into different industries or they're, they're going down in flames. And there's no other way. That is an awesome uh, mission. And uh, you know, <laughs> that is very worthwhile. And I'm a meat eater, too. I, can't, I cannot see myself not eating um, right. meat. Uh, for health right. and other uh, reasons, uh, um, I hear you. Uh, Yo, I, I would certainly want. Uh, I would certainly prefer to eat uh, meat that was uh, humanely uh, treated while it was alive, uh, and then humanely so killed without being boiled alive or or tormented yes. 
Yeah, so uh, that is something I'm sure a lot of uh, meat eaters can stand behind. So uh, right. that might be a, a great success uh, as well uh, for somebody to undertake that. Now, you're very yeah. articulate, and I enjoyed this hour very much. Unfortunately, Thank we're you, near sir. the end. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to invite you back. I'm going to talk to Julie. Um, Thank you. <laughs> now the Arcadia Project is a monthly show. and uh, oh, wonderful. We're, and we're also doing some specials, too. So we oh, will definitely fabulous. in touch. And in the interim, how can people contact you? And how can they learn more about all the different uh, uh, causes that you're fighting for? Oh, thank you. Well, I will absolutely bow down to Julie O'Connor. She's my best friend. She's delightful. I, I've met awesome. you through her, and you're phenomenal. So anyone who wants can go through CAF, and, and it'll go to her. And everything I do is with Jewel because she's my bestie. And, and you know, um, she's just she's the founder of CAF, Caring Activists Against Fur, that got me in on this. And I'm blessed that I know her, and I'm blessed that I know you and Athena. <laughs> Same here. We're all very blessed uh, to know you. It's taken a while to to get us on the podcast together, but I'm glad that it finally happened. <laughs> and, and we could thank Julie for that uh, as well because uh, yeah. she made it happen. Um, and you. uh, you're you're a memorable person because see, yeah, I remembered uh, the other times our paths crossed, and uh, <laughs> so you you make her, you definitely make uh, an impression. And uh, you have some you. excellent ideas. Uh, um, Thank and you. Uh, you, ha- you definitely have the creativity. It uh, shows uh, uh, through your background, through the way you articulate and uh, uh, the oh, way you think. <laughs> so uh, I really <laughs> believe that uh, uh, the path ahead of you will open up and uh, you'll find a more powerful way of doing that, which you really love to do. Oh, thank you, Hercules, and and you as well. And best of luck on your show. You're you're really the the new voice. You are amazing. You're going to do great. Thank you so very much. Uh, thank your husband for watching your family, both human and animal, <laughs> watch the the, the uh, broadcast. Uh, and uh, we will talk again soon. You as well. Take care. Bye bye. Good night. Bye bye. And uh, that was amazing. Um, And on Facebook, I put down that uh, my kitty cat Freya put her pull of approval on the the show. Um, I'm going to play a song, uh, Bone Postures Evolve, and uh, that'll close tonight's uh, episode. Um, That was incredibly awesome, and uh, she gave me a lot to think about. Until next time, this is Hercules Invictus, Joyous Journeys and Amazing Adventures.